0: Welcome everyone to another episode of Don't Give Up Skeleton. I'm your host, Jeremy Greer. This week we are joined by Theomany. You may know Theomine from her YouTube videos as Cassative or her uh, Dark Souls streams as Theomine or just as a excellent Souls follow on Twitter as uh, AngelNoMoon. The and I have been Twitter friends for a while. We like to talk about the Souls games. Um, She's an extremely intelligent and smart person, and her Souls insights are one of a kind. Um, This is a special episode because uh, since recording the main part of the episode, she released an essay entitled... Wow, you think I would have that up on the screen before I started recording this, but I don't because I am a terrible <laughs> podcast host. Uh, it's called Lead the Aletheia: The Essence of Dark Souls*. Uh, excuse me, the essence of the Soul and Dark Soul. It's linked in the show notes, um, and I decided to get her back onto the cast so that we could talk about it. Um, it's a, it's a really easy uh, but really excellent good read about. Um, you know what? Just go read it and listen to our conversations about it. That'll probably be an easy way to explain that. Um, just go do it, and enjoy this episode. Thanks. I have to say I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little bit intimidated because uh, I'm not... I like the Dark Souls lore stuff. Like I get really into it, Uh, but I was listening to you stream the other day or watching you stream rather. Um, You were playing some Dark Souls two and you and your viewers were just having the most intense and in-depth conversations about the Dark Souls two lore and about the ramifications on other, all this other stuff. And I'm like, Holy shit, this person is so much smarter than me. (laughs) So I'm I'm a little bit intimidated. (laughs)
1: Like I said, with uh, when I started, the lore through i'm just a smart ass on youtube i don't have all the answers <laughs> so um we just take it from there and uh, everybody has a piece of it because mm-hmm. i heard it i heard it described once on um something awful that the lore for dark souls is basically a shattered window and they leave about 80 percent of those shatters on the ground and they take like 10 or 20 percent and they, like, throw them in the trash. And what you got is what you got. So um, you just have to figure out where it is and from your own cultural lens and kind of make your own connections eventually. And that's kind of the, the fascinating, uh, fascinating part of it. And the fascinating part of how Dark Souls approaches storytelling a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it allows you to just put that window right back together in a way you see fit, and not everyone has the same the same window into the lore of Dark Souls, and I think that's, that's probably intentional. Um, I heard Epic Name Bro once talk about how Miyazaki wanted people to talk to one another about what they found on the proverbial playground, so I think it works pretty well in that regard, although it was probably really hard for them to, like, sit there and be coy and not say anything about what the answers might be. <laughs>
0: <clears throat> I'm always curious how much attention they pay to, you know, just the, the the cottage industry that has sprung up around Dark Souls. Like all of the like do you think you do you think Miyazaki has like watched an Epic name bro or a Vati video or a JSF video or whatever. Like do you think he's actually I'm pretty done sure that?
1: he's I'm pretty sure he's like watched an Epic Name bro video or two because uh, I know Epic Name Bros met him and like had beers with him while he was living in Japan.
0: Oh, that's right. So, yeah. I, f- I always forget about uh,
1: that part. So th- there's probably some of that, although I think they probably pay more attention to the, the lore cottage community in Japan over on, like, niko or, or, like, uh, Futaba Channel and stuff like that. Less the Western the western group. Although they probably know Body Video just by dint of everybody talking about him. So.
0: Yeah, his name literally coming up anytime somebody talks about Dark Souls lore.
1: Yeah, it's
0: like, hello. My name is Body Video, and I will talk very softly about lore. <laughs> um, I remember oh, yeah. starting starting to watch his videos, and I would you know throw him up on YouTube in the background. While me and my wife were doing stuff, and she she kind of looked at me. She goes, "Who is this guy?" And I was like, "His name is Body Video. He does these really cool lore videos." She's like this dude could like read the phone book and make it sound pretty relaxing and interesting. I'm like, I oh, know, right? The dude has a voice. <laughs> He's got a voice for radio. He
1: definitely has his voice for radio. There's a few. um, There's a few guys across YouTube, different games though, that have radio voices. Although his is very ASMR.
0: Yeah. ASMR. mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, what got you kind of started in the the, looking into the lore of Dark Souls? Would you just pick up one of the games, and then did you become fascinated from there, or how how did it start?
1: Like I actually wasn't aware of. Dark Souls. Like, it was in the big periphery. Um, let me back up a little bit. My my gaming history is filled with holes, but it spans all the way back into, like, the early 90s. Um, I started with an NES when I was a kid. There's, like, VHS video of me just sitting there on the floor uh, playing a shmup um, on the NES. And then it went to Sega Genesis, but then I skipped a bunch of generations and got a PSX for Christmas. And then I got a PS2, but I got a PS3 very, very late in the generation. Okay. Um so when I got my PS4, I got Bloodborne. So that was my first Dark Souls game. Um I like to joke that I played the series effectively backwards, but it was um it was Bloodborne first and then um uh, and then it was Demon Souls. And then it was Dark Souls three, Dark Souls one, and then Dark Souls Two. <laughs>
0: oh wow. Okay. So, so Bloodborne yeah. three, one, and then two. Okay. That's 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 pretty backwards. Yeah. I can see how you'd say that. It, it's pretty backwards. Um
1: so Bloodborne was actually really fascinating when I started watching Name Bros videos, because I started mm-hmm. watching his his LP of it. Before I picked up my copy, I picked up my copy um, during one of the Destiny expansion cycles. Um, So I wanted to experience that for myself, and uh, there was a, it basically presented a big mystery, and so I wanted to dig around in it myself. I really like movies and literature and. uh, Games that make you think a lot of the time and make you uh, come up with your own conclusions, as it mm-hmm. were.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, you know, I'm not, I'm actually not a very big Lovecraft fan, but I've read a bunch of Junji Ito. So I make a lot of connections with Ito instead of Lovecraft to, uh, to Bloodborne a lot of the time. Uh,
0: I just got finished with his uh, Cat Diaries uh i don't oh, i don't yeah. know if there's more than yeah, one book he, but i've read the first one i guess
1: the in lovecraft makes them horrifying rather than love how lovecraft would take the extraordinary and make them horrifying
0: mm-hmm.
1: um so like i see a lot of the influence of ito in in bloodborne especially with like the chalice dungeons being kind of a reference to Uzumaki and um the thing that came ashore, being kind of referenced in the old hunters and stuff like that. So, Bloodborne presented this big mystery, and I and I got I ate it up pretty much. And then, um, and then what happened was Aegon started doing his uh, Let's Talk Lord Bloodborne, and I found that through trolling through uh, through YouTube and finding things that are recommended to me and stuff like that. So, I started watching that. And commenting there and that's kind of how i started with like digging around lore and sharing my own interpretations and stuff like that and eventually i moved it moved long form over to uh my medium account which is where my my polished content is for the most part uh, my computer is a is a potato it's from <laughs> 2009 it still runs vista 64
0: oh wow um, you, poor, you poor thing i'm so sorry <laughs> I
1: have <laughs> I have to run Discord and Slack through Firefox now <laughs> because Chrome is like this is too old, go away. <laughs> uh, so like I don't I don't really make videos because I don't really think that the uh, computer can handle it. But um, so I just I write essays and I edit the crap out of them and then I bother my friend uh, Bob to uh, read through them and give me his thoughts and then I post them. So. Uh, yeah, like a lot of a lot of where I started started in Bloodborne, but from my political science background and my international relations background, it seems that Dark Souls really hooked into but Dark Souls as lore and all of its connections hooked into me a bit deeper than even Bloodborne did. Um, probably mostly because I wasn't I'm not fully read on on Lovecraft.
0: And
1: more of it on Ito and stuff
0: like that. I still love Bloodborne. Bloodborne was my first one, so yeah. I've never. I haven't read much Lovecraft either, and um, like I was obviously coming to Bloodborne from you know Dark Souls one and two and Demons, but uh, like it was recognizably Lovecraft. Like if you're on the internet, you kind of just pick up what Lovecraft is, just you know, just because it's everywhere, and it's kind of inspired me to read some of it. But I don't know, like it's. I feel like you can definitely have the appreciation but it stands up on its own so well that you don't actually need it at all if you do, if it's not there. Yeah,
1: so I write I a lot of like little comments on, on Aegon's videos about what he's um, and have like these conversations on YouTube, which is where I get the whole, I'm a smartass on YouTube kind of thing. <laughs> um, have these long conversations about what these things mean culturally and what their connections are and Because literature doesn't really work unless it connects to you. It connects to your own experiences. And I think Dark Souls, being a bit of a cipher sometimes, connects to a lot of people in a lot of different ways. And I think that's one of the, the biggest successes of it.
0: That's absolutely true. Like, there's... When I started this podcast, it was arguably just so I could talk about Dark Souls with people. Um, but I was I was kind of concerned that it would only go so so far. Like I'm going to interview 50 people and they're all going to tell me that they like Dark Souls one, and that's going to be at the end of the podcast, right? Uh, but it's been it's been really interesting. Like I'm, you're, this is close to 100 episodes, and like they've been we, I've had just wildly varying opinions and thoughts and takes and just. It's just affected so many people in so many different ways. It's it's kind of eye-opening, in a way. And there's not a lot of games out there that do that, I don't think. like It seems to be a, a very rare thing.
1: Yeah. It's it's a very rare zeitgeist of um, different experiences, because you can plug in your own different experiences. But plug in those missing holes in the window. Um, there's a window analogy again. You can make fun of me for that, but... <laughs> <laughs>
0: The window episode like, of Don't Give Up Skeleton.
1: <laughs> the window episode of Don't Give Up Skeleton. And like, because it's such a cipher, it becomes this inclusive kind of fill it in with, fill in the blanks with your own experiences and your own in your own uh, way of viewing the world. Um, part of my background is international relations, which, which does a lot of cultural anthropology. And so that that figures very well in the way that the story, because you become part of that lore, too, rather than just reading item descriptions in a very somber, Australian voice. <laughs> um, so, like, you become part of that lore, and you can, you can do or not as you want. And, like, Dark 2, Dark Two one of Dark Two's biggest lore points is uh, claiming your own identity. Even though everybody else kind of can't because they're not like the protagonist in in a lot of ways, but that's something that everybody needs to remember with third souls is that you're claiming your own identity and you're deciding your own fate even though you might be pulled in various directions and you might have a different lens in which to view the choices or whether X, Y, and Z are right or if you're being lied to or not that's just life you have to take your own your own lens and decide for yourself what's true or not and uh, that's one of the nicer messages in, in dark souls um but yeah i started i started with bloodborne and then went to demon souls and then went to dark three so yeah definitely
0: <laughs> words <laughs> What was it? Because I've talked to people that have gone from Bloodborne and then basically worked their way backwards. Because you know, if you have Bloodborne, you obviously have a PS4. So there's Dark Souls three, and then there's Dark Souls two, and then you have to go other to, other hardware from there. Going from Bloodborne to Demons, like you're, that's such a huge swing in terms of like player mechanics and just the opacity of systems and and things like that. Like, was that kind of a like was that a, a rough? Basically, I guess is what I'm asking. I don't quite know how to phrase this. Uh, like, was it was it difficult to, to to go back to demons? Like, did you have to like relearn everything? Basically,
1: yeah. You kind of well. Once you know the language of the game, you kind of know what they're getting at. Like, once you know the beat to dance to, you're going to be you're going to be able to dance to it. Um, learning to actually use a shield was something. Um, I actually don't. If you watch me stream, even um, most of my streams, I don't. I don't use a shield mm-hmm. even now. Like I'll use a shield for stamina regen, and then that's it. Um, Bob says that I'm one of the most hyper aggressive players in uh, that he's ever seen because um, that's just the way I like learned the, the language at the beginning. Um, I'm sure if like I played Kingsfield first. Like, I would learn the language a bit slower, more methodically, more uh, meticulous, but it's like, um, for me, it's more a controlled chaos, and I think um, Chloe Reed, Chloe Red? Chloe Red, of IGN, um, she mentioned once that it is, for her, a rhythm game, and that's when it clicked for me. Um, Like, I hear it a bit more than I actually realize I'm reading it. So, like, I'll see them do their moveset, and then I'm like, okay, it's my turn. Swing around the back. Um, And I I think I attribute that to Bloodborne. Bloodborne made me pretty aggressive when I I went back into Demon's Souls. Be that as it may, uh, I found the the levels of Demon's Souls harder than the bosses. Um, I was actually kind of let down by the bosses. Because um, I expected more more straight up fights. And um, Flame Lurker was one of the one straight up fights. And I really enjoyed Flame Lurker. But the rest of them were kind of puzzle bosses. And I was like, eh.
0: Yeah. Um, a, just a crazy amount of puzzle, of, excuse me, of bosses and demon souls are, are just like, hey, you have to get this specific item or you have to go through this this like checklist of things you have to do before you're gonna do damage to it. Like it's like looking back, it's it's pretty insane for a game like that to have like basically none of the fights that, you know, Bloodborne kind of perfected with Orphan of Cause and Gurman and Lady Maria, you know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, right. And like if you wanted to straight up fight without Had Trader, you actually have to fail a quest. Um, which is a little silly, but um, whatever, but... uh,
0: There's a lot of silliness in in Demon's Souls.
1: Yeah, at the time, I think it was uh, one of those eye-opening things. Um, I know Bob... Bob tells me a lot about how he imported it from South Korea. South South Korean menus were uh, were in English before Atlas took it over for Mm -hmm. North America. And, like... Back then, it was a lot harder, and I, and I attribute that to people learning the language, and when you don't know the language, it's a lot harder. So, like, I think your first Souls game, or your first Kingsfield-like game, like I like joking about, is going to be your hardest game, because you're learning the language, and uh, you're being immersed in it. And then every other game after that is going to be very, very easy after that. Well, not easy, but easier. Because you know the language. And I think that's what a lot of the complaints that they're actually stem from. They know the language already. So it's a lot easier in their mind than a previous game. Because they know the language. And the language doesn't actually change that much.
0: It, it really doesn't. Like Once you figure out the basics of stamina management during combat... You know, oh, I, I I regain stamina faster if I lower my shield, so I shouldn't hold it up at all times. Those kind of things. Like once you kind of get it from there, everything else kind of spirals out from that, right? Like you just you yeah. kind of start realizing, okay, well, I know I need to wait for an opening, so I just need to look at this boss and let it try to hit me a couple of times and figure out where I can hit it, and then hit it at those times. Um, yeah, it, it's been You've gotta it,
1: like go ahead. learn learn to listen to the game. And uh, listen to what it's telling you. And actually, a funny story about that is is probably Madeir, Because most of move moveset is trying to teach you how to fight him. And a lot of people, I think at the outset, just weren't listening to it. And they're like, I'm trying to get behind him and, and hack at his knees. because That's what you've always done for dragons. But no, move moveset is telling you, stay in front of me. Wait for me to lower my head as a pet, and then pet me in the head. <laughs> um, and a lot of people were really stubborn about that, and a stubborn in like threw their controller out the window or something. Madir is hard and unfair and stuff like that. No, it's it's actually not. It's long. He had a he had a bit too much health, but like his almost entire moveset set is trying to tell you, stay in front of me. Dodge backwards,
0: you're done. I think but, that um, um, that idea of patience—that's a note because you just mentioned like how it, like it takes a, it's a long time. That idea of patience is one that I think is, as the games have gotten more and more popular and as people have been playing them along with the releases, that's something that players seem to lose because I, I know my, for myself personally, it, like that's the one big thing that always kills me in these games is. Like, I just want to get through it. Like, I'm trying to do something. I just, okay, I, I just want to get through this boss. So, like, I try to hurry up and do it. And it's something that you you can't really do in these games. Like, the, the hollows and, and Undead berg will kill you if you try to run through them, if if you're not paying attention, right? Like, that, that can easily happen, even if you've been a veteran of the series for a long time. It was something, yes. when I watched you stream the other day, that I, I think I even said it in chat, of you were doing a magic build and you were fighting, um, <clears throat> is it Najka? Najka, Najka? yeah. Yeah, um, Najka. Yeah. And you were just kind of plinking away with, you know, Soul Arrow or Heavy Soul Arrow, and it wasn't doing a lot of damage, but you were just kind of playing it like a slow rhythm game, right? Like, <laughs> you were just kind of moving yeah. out of the way, waiting for it to come up, dodging attack, plink, plink, plink. And it's uh, it's something, it made me realize as I was watching you, like, I've been trying to rush through a lot of Dark Souls 3. uh and I think that generates a lot of that hate for the HP pool bosses, like the Nameless King or the Madirs or things like that. Even yeah. Gale, like I, I have problems with Gale from a from a narrative perspective, but as a mechanical fight, it's actually pretty good if you just try to get. You just can't try to rush it at all, which is I think yeah. mine and a lot of people's problems with with those fights.
1: And three is actually three is actually bigger with the clues too, because um they choreographed the the beat of the boss theme to their moveset a lot of the time. Uh, uh, Game theorists had a, a longer video on this, but it's something I kind of intuited. A lot of the bosses are are music choreographed with their movesets. Um, they they talked a lot about the dancer, because the dancer runs on a, uh, a waltz moveset. Um, so there'll be beat, beat, rest beat and that rest will always mess up because they expect beat 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 but it's yeah. beat beat rest beat um Gale is choreographed um Medeer not so much um but yeah there's if you like listen to the OST a lot which is where I got some of the, the lore OST stuff um very early Bell, how most of the Lord of Cinder most, actually all of them, have like a bell at some sort in their boss theme. This Watcher starts with a bell um, ostensibly a bell of awakening. Um, even Lothric and Morian have bells in the middle when they go ember mode. Um, Worm has some bells but I think they're like really deep bass bells. And uh, Aldrich has some chimes in there, so like in three, even the music kind of was part of the war. And I like pointed that out very early to Aegon. Aegon was like, "Holy crap!" <laughs> <laughs> that's
0: that's um, interesting. What can you kind of go into the significance of having d- the bells and these various sounds outro- and these various songs throughout the boss fights?
1: The the obvious one is. Um, the obvious one is this watcher. Is, is, uh, it starts with a bell. And it does sound like the bell of awakening from one. And it's, uh, right, it's making them come back up. Because they're dead when you walk in there. There's only like two of them left. But they are, as Lords of Cinder, cursed to be up. Um, to be dragged back to their thrones. Even though they either forgot or unwilling to be dragged back to their thrones. Um, and that's partially because of what they've—that covenant that they entered when they linked the fire. And uh, yes, I am part of that small minority who believes that Lothric and Lorian linked the flame at one point, came back up, saw it didn't really do anything or mattered, and then he's
0: out. But um, I always assumed—I always assumed that linking the flame kind of consumed the person linking the flame. Is that? Do you not subscribe to that?
1: Um, I think the flame consumes them and then because Dark 3 takes place after the point of no return which makes it different from Dark 1 and 2 Um, Dark 1 and 2 you you can stop the apocalypse from happening but in Dark 3 the apocalypse already happened when you get dragged out of your own grave partially probably by the flame itself as some sort of last minute, last ditch Hail Mary attempt at saving itself Um, so these Lords of Cinder which are probably the last four Lords of Cinder probably like dragged themselves out saw that the world was going to crap and then tried to leave and not sit on their throne. unlike you know Ludlith who Hmm. is Ludlith I love (laughs) (laughs)
0: Ludlith Yeah, I like Lelith a lot. He's got some of the best dialogue in the game, like no question. Like just as he, yeah, he's just one of those NPCs that you just want to know so much more about. And yeah, you know, I think Dark Souls Three doesn't have like, comp- especially compared to you know one or two, like the NPCs are a little thin to me. So having Lelith there it is just just perfect. Like I just yay <laughs> more of this please. I want more. Yeah, I
1: want I'd love to have more about Lelith, but I I have this new kind of theory I'm kind of working on. Um, not really seriously, but the thrones all say the truth. Ludlith the Exiled, holy King Lothric. Lothric is king, whether he wants to take the mantle or not, because his father is uh, indisposed. <laughs> and Ludlith the Exiled, and what if, because what if, a lot of my theories start, at least in my thoughts, with a what if. What if Ludlith is a pygmy, and he was exiled from the Ring City, and that's where he's actually exiled from, and he adopted Portland as his home on Henri. So, you know, I always ask myself these questions about what if this is that, and so that's where all most of it spins out from. Um, for me, the the lore is the most interesting when it's showing us what people do with that world that we're given, which makes Aldia and Vendry amazingly interesting to me um, and why I like the second half of DS2 uh, a lot. Like, you know, sucks. <laughs> the meme The meme hates DS2 because of uh, critique. came out very early in vanilla, and I can see where first impression of DS2. And it's what I call sequelitis, because they they were pressured to come out with a sequel that was as good as DS1 hmm. and as well as well as DS1. So they they took all of these great ideas and they shoved them all in there without creating their best ideas and flushing them out. So you have a poor first impression, but the second half of the game, which I call the Tanamuda side, where he probably exerted himself. Because you can, you can almost feel how two-thirds of the NPCs suddenly do not matter anymore um, as soon as you pass the Shrine of Winter. And it becomes this meditation on these three characters of Nashandra, Vendrick, and Aldia, and what life is, and uh, what the curse might actually be. And uh, Aldia has some amazing lines, one of which quotes one of the more famous uh, Macbeth's soliloquies from, from Shakespeare, uh, which probably tells you a lot about what they were thinking with Vendrick, Aldiya, and Nishandra. And um, Dark Souls 3 has lots of, has more of that with uh, Sullivan Aldrich and, uh, and Loughbreak and stuff like that. Now that you have these individuals. I want to now that you have this world. I want to see what these individuals do, and I think, uh, and I really, the story of the Ring City is probably one of my favorite moments in Souls. Actually, um, okay. everything leading up to leading up to Gale and Gale, Gale's boss fight himself is a great experience, in my opinion, um, because it it focuses. It focuses on those
0: characters. It, I, I guess can you? Would you mind going into it a little bit more? Uh, because I'm curious. I, I didn't have a very good reaction to the Ring City, um, but I think at this point, like I'm just kind of souled out to an extent. Like I think I've just put a lot of time into those games into thinking about it, and when, and I think my I let my expectations get the better of me. Right? Like I think I was like, well, this is gonna you I, know. imagine
1: that one guy who played Kingsfield one or two back in 1993 and hasn't stopped playing Kingsfield. Like <laughs> imagine that one guy. Yeah. What think?
0: <laughs> um, Some OG that got the moonlight great sword at armored core of all things. And has just been keeping it keeping it going.
1: <laughs> just keeping it going. Yeah. He got the, the MGS and in, in Kingsfield. Kingsfield is, uh, it runs on the moonlight great sword engine. Um, that, that OG, the OG is the OGs. Yes, Just imagine exactly. that guy.
0: <laughs>
1: um, but um, I've always kind of, even before Souls, I've been fascinated with um, stories of eschatology, mm-hmm. which is uh, the stories of the end and uh, the end times. And I wrote a bit about this in Syzygy, uh, which is my huge essay. Um, just kind of about the Ring City and uh, what the Ring City is doing. There's um, a lot of cross-references between different sorts of uh, real-life religious thinking being referenced in the Ring City. And Gail himself is a tragic figure, kind of Shakespearean in a way. Here's this guy who is who only knows fighting because he was a slave fighter. You know, he's been around for gosh knows when. And who knows how long each game journey actually is. It's... For me, time to, time isn't convoluted. Time just doesn't matter. And for me, there's a difference in that. Lore-wise, because the time is convoluted thing is sort of used as an excuse a lot of the time. But... In, in these games, time just doesn't matter. And you don't realize how much time passes, because why would you? You're basically immortal as an undead. Um, as long as you have a will and a soul to go on, or a wing and a prayer, you are just going to keep going, um, and you're probably not going to realize how much time has passed. Um, Gail kind of shows you how much has passed when you meet him the second time, because the first time you, you fight with him. He's a kind of normal guy. Um, he's got his executioner sword, and he's got his armor, and he helps you fight Frida, and that's that. But but by the time you get to, um, to Gale again, when he finds the Dark Soul, and he imbues the Dark Soul with blood, and uh, blood has kind of always been there. Um, Fueling the fire. Consider each bonfire, even in one. It's not. It's not wood that's underneath the the coiled swords. It's bones. Bones make red blood cells. So blood has always been kind of part of um, fueling the fire and fueling the dark soul. And one theory that I'm actually working on right now, um, as as the drafts for an essay is when there's a first fire, there's a last fire. And the last fire was probably the Flame of Humanity. And we see that Flame of Humanity engulfing Gail when we fight him. When we go through that experience of fighting him. And um, when we get and it's, and it's great to see him have figured all these things out. He's gone through hundreds and hundreds of years. He's figured out how the summon sign works um, because his teleport is actually force summoning you, force summoning himself to you. Um, you have to look really closely, but he like drops a sign right below him and like force summons himself to you.
0: Are you serious? Um,
1: yeah, I'm serious.
0: That's serious. There was a this. This is going to sound a little off topic, but it's so. There was a guy on the something awful forms and um and if you're listening to this, I'm sorry, but he was he was kind of a jerk face. Um but he would kind of force summon himself with people. Like he he called it um sunvading, I think. And he would just this was Dark Souls one on the PC version and he had hacked his copy all to pieces. So he would go in there and then say, like, Oh hey, I'm here to to help you and like the guy people didn't have any idea and I always considered it kind of BS because You know, Dark Souls 1 specifically is meant like if you want to participate in those things, you have to make that decision. So taking away that decision is kind of a jerk face thing to do. But that's so weird that like a boss actually does this, (laughs) like forces summons himself to you, and that's that's his teleport move. I had no idea about the summon sign below him. That's crazy. Yeah. When he when he teleports, he's not using miracles, he's just force summoning himself to you.
1: Hmm. Um so that's one of the things he's found out over the the eons that it takes between fighting Frida and then finding him again. And um, his sword has broken off and he's learned these new movesets and he's created this new, um, this new crossbow. And it, and it does show time passing in a way that you don't see anywhere else in the series. Because um, the start of the boss fight, it's um, kind of daytime. And by the time you finish it, it is nighttime. It is the end. You s- you've snuffed out the last flame as well as the first flame, and it's done. Everything's gone. <laughs> and that's the only time when you palpably see time change, because they have the ability to do late-day night cycles, but they don't, and they mm-hmm. probably don't for a reason. And that's the only time they actually do it.
0: What does that mean for the end of the the universe or end of the world for like, once you extinguish that last fire and extinguish that first fire, where does that leave the state of the world? Is it just going to happen all over again?
1: Um, yeah, sort of. I mean, I link the Ashen one to um, Kaliki, who is um, a Vedic uh, avatar, who is the destroyer of filth and, he will gather all of these, like an army of souls. Stop me if you've heard this one. He will, <laughs> he will gather an army of souls and then end the current epoch. And then bring that army of souls into the next epoch. Um, each epoch is one big cycle where there's little cycles within them. And there's more than just um, a single avatar of them. So, if you want to go um, Vedic philosophy, which has some relations to Buddhism and um, Hinduism and stuff like that, you can see that there's these within these epochs there are cycles, and uh, the Ashram is basically Kaliki, who is bringing all of what's left into a new epoch and you see the end of the epoch, and you don't know, and then you bring that pigment to the to the painter, and you can assume that a, a new age will begin within the painting, or the world that she makes after that. Which effectively makes her god,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but, um, yeah, like, her dragon tail is her, her hair. Um, she's kind of a a cross between humanity and dragons and stuff like that so she's actually it throws it recontextualizes what we've experienced in dark souls one and two as to what is life why were they why were they so afraid of priscilla what is the life one, um power actually um, with the Ring City in mind, with everything in mind. Um, because you can you can assume that Dark Souls 1 and 2 are pulled from Unreliable readers because people will take history and they will mold it for their own political uses a lot of the time, which is you know, just it's just life, I guess. But, um, and history becomes well, the present becomes history and history becomes myth and then myth becomes legend, which you see with the with the Abyss Watchers again. Like they they took the legend of Artorias and you know, they probably didn't know what they were signing up for. But they they did eventually. And uh, you don't know what you're signing up for, but you you persevere eventually and uh, you open the way into the new age. Um, mm-hmm. But they're not like directly stating that in the game because I guess they they wanted to be a tapestry of different different thoughts that you can point to and you, you can recognize a long time. Like the locusts look a lot like the abaddon in um, Revelations, um, all the way down to like the scorpion, t- the scorpion stinger, and like the hi- the woman like hair. And uh, their bodies and stuff like that. Um, Revelations is like a nightmare. Or uh, it's like reading somebody's nightmare. <laughs> but yeah. Um. So there's a lot of different intertextuality going on with the Ring City that will take, and a lot of semiotics that you will you need to take into account. And I heard a lot about the dare I say, the the unhappiness with stuff with the Ring City.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I I kind of don't get it because it's so full of symbolism and so full of... It's recontextualizing Dark Souls 1 and 2 into a way that spins it into new, interesting ways. Uh, for instance, Shira, Shira's relationship. If if she is telling the truth and she is a daughter of, of Seath it recontextualizes why in the hell he is kidnapping maidens. And it's possibly because even crazy, he wanted his daughter back. Turns that into a story of the guy who just wanted his daughter back.
0: hmm And was willing to do anything to do it.
1: Yeah. And he was willing and able. Because Seath, if you believe the opening cinematic as telling the full truth, Seath was a jealous guy. He's like, I don't have, I don't have scales. I'm this nobody loser who is white, and they make fun of me, and they, you know, they make means out of me. I'm going to show them. And he's got this, he has this daughter, and um, she leaves with Philionor, and and Philionor, what a tragedy for her, given up as basically a political marriage to secure the cowing of the pygmies because her father was deathly afraid of them. Put to sleep as the sleeping goddess. Um, connected to the the green the green blossoms and green grass press shield uh, even after the fact. Like I had to go dig back into Dark Souls One and Two's uh, item descriptions just to see. And even in Dark Souls One, the Chloranthe ring has always been quote ancient. And it's like, it, it gives another bunch of, of puzzle pieces for what actually happened. The sin of Gwyn is his fear. And um, it's not just linking the fire. Like, I thought, I think community had settled that the first sin after Dark Souls 2 was when linking the fire. I think the first sin now for Gwyn is his fear. Um, where Vendrick's sin was um, believing himself not to be a king. Um, And one of the sins for Osiris, because you can take them as little profiles of kings, and Osiris, in his narcissism, thought that his his royal blood or being a king meant something. It doesn't, because kings aren't people. People aren't the kings. Kings, like you, aren't born into greatness. You become great, um, and just having the titles mean anything, which is which drove Osiris mad, and insane, and into the depths of depravity that was ravaging the, the scholars. It's like the Ring City gives new meaning and new context to what we've already seen and it gives these uh these characters that we've known an extra bit of understanding and recontextualization that i think is uh that i think makes the ring city exceptionally good to have to go through
0: can i can i pick your brain a little bit and ask a question that's kind of bugged me since dark souls 3 sure um in dark souls 3 we meet yorshka who implies that gwendolyn is her brother um or i mean she says i think she uses the phrase brother or uncle or something like implying that she's a relative and the the ring city we get introduced to Philonor, um who, who we see very briefly like we see her in that, in that cinematic cut scene but with Gwendolyn and Yorshka and the obvious connection of their, like both have tentacles. And I've always been curious as to like the reasoning behind the, you know, his, his snake legs or the, the tentacles coming out of Yorshka's like neck area. Um, We don't, we don't know anything about Gwen's wife and presumably the mother of all of these kids, but it's something that's kind of, and I've always wanted to play around with it, but I'm not quite the, If you'll forgive the pun, I'm not quite the scholar of the lore that a lot of people are, but it kind of makes me think that there's some sort of interplay with Gwen and dragons or some sort of heritage or, you know, something, maybe Gwen's heritage or or what have you, that's related to dragons and that, that, you know, that heritage keeps coming out in the form of his kids keep having tentacles or tails or something that kind of indicates that they have, they're they're not 100%. not really human, but of Gwen. Does it, does that make any sense? Does that question make any sense?
1: Yeah. Um let me answer your question with a question. Okay. Why did Gwyn go after the dragons?
0: Exactly. Yeah. What what was the what was the impetus for that war, right? Like why was he fighting the dragons to begin with?
1: Yeah. And so like he used Seath as a as a because he's an opportunist. And there's some real politics that Gwyn undergoes. I mean, he basically sells off his beloved daughter Philinor as a political bride to the Pygmies. Um, so, like, why did he go out the dragons? Um, the thing about Yorshka is uh, she's unreliable because of her innocence, but she doesn't know anything. To kill her and take her time, it says that Yorshka was a name given to her by Gwendolyn. Um, like, Gorshka isn't really her name, but it's kind of the name she kind of took because her quote brother gave it to her. Um, and so like we don't we don't know if she actually is a blood relative or not. I mean, hell, Win might not even have a wife. They might come out of him like um, Athena came out of of uh, Zeus's head.
0: Yeah. fully formed ready to go <laughs> well, i uh, was actually um I, if you'll forgive the crudeness someone in the duck feed slack the other day said uh you know do you think dark souls characters like actually bone down and that you know it was just a silly conversation but i said well you know gwen obviously does because he has those kids and someone and i think someone actually made a joke look like you know he probably just takes them out of his forehead i'm like hey, man i'm not here to kink shame like you have kids boy you want to have kids it's not my <laughs> business <laughs>
1: Oh yeah, like uh, it could just come out of his head, fully formed, like Zeus did. But Zeus also, also got down a lot.
0: Yeah, true. Um, <laughs> um,
1: so like, although I think a lot of people ask who is the wife of Gwen, I'm not sure it matters too much. Yeah, um, just. Just like some of the, the focus on Velka. And I'm like, Velka isn't interesting to me as herself. She's interesting to me as to what she says about sin um, and what sin actually is and, and is not um, rather than her as a character. But uh, I digress a little bit. But Gorshka is super innocent, which makes her the most unreliable narrator as to who she is because she just kind of repeats what she's been told. And Gwendolyn is like, well, you're my sister. And she's like, okay, you're my brother then.
0: And so Gwendolyn is a, that, is a known liar. Like he, that dude, you know, say what you want about him. <laughs> but he, he does not like to tell the truth.
1: <laughs> he's of the moon. And like, yeah. what does, and of the like 20, 30 tropes that FromSoft likes to reference. And it is that's the other thing. I don't think they're fan, fan servicing at all. They just like referencing themselves. Um, what is the moon in souls? Like, what is moonlight in souls? It isn't It isn't the full truth. It's um, sort of like a mirage or a dreamlike state. I mean, if you look at the, the Arcanum card for the moon, it's like uh, there's this primordial aspect to it and a sort of dreamlike half-truth that goes on there. And... Uh, even Gwendolyn is on the doors to Phileonor's church. So that's your first indication that um, the ring... Well, that's maybe your second indication, because your first one is that pygmy at the beginning of the ring city. That's your second indication that, you know, this is probably an illusion, too, because he's on, that, on those doors. Um, moonlight is an illusion in, in Souls. It, yeah, in Souls. Skill is probably different. Armored Core is probably different stuff like that. But um, solidarity to my my armored core bros. But <laughs> 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 um, they've been waiting for eight years for their nineteenth game. I mean, <laughs> 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 um, so yeah, it's like you have to ask yourself what is Moonlight in that series. Uh, Moonlight means a different thing in Bloodborne. Um, even Crowns are it in between games and series and franchises. Even the adventures of cookies and cream has a crown in it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I think I saw you and, and somebody discussing that on Twitter the other day and I was kind of cracking up about it. Like the cookies and cream joke yeah. on, for FromSoft games is always a really, really good, like it spins well for me every single time someone makes the joke. So,
1: so like, I saw the Adventures of Cookies and Cream because I was like, I was mentioning all the
0: little tropes that FromSoft likes referencing of themselves. That's what it was. You were rewriting the lore to be basically (laughs) be a Souls game. I remember this now. Yeah, that was amazing.
1: (laughs) I I rewrote it to be (laughs) Bloodborne, and it didn't take very much. It just took like a couple of changes of of nouns and stuff, and there you go.
0: Yeah, you you Um, change cookies to you know werewolves, and you're pretty much halfway there.
1: yeah it's like that's crowns are crowns are a powerful thing in in from soft games Moonlight's powerful from soft games ravens which kind of turned into corvians and souls still the same thing um and i think that's probably where the, the velka thing started really velka was just their reference to ravens uh the mechs and armored core called ravens side note
0: hmm. um
1: uh, so, like, there's lots and lots of little tropes, and it's not fan service, I don't think. It was just them self referencing because they have a gallows sense of humor. Uh, so I'm willing to believe that. But there, <laughs> there you go.
0: Well, um, so we're recording this pretty quick after E3, um, and you know, we don't really have any like big announcements for Souls games or really any kind of from software game besides they've confirmed that they're working on an Armored Core game, I think. That's pretty much it. And they've got two other games in development. But yeah. uh, this is going to be the first games that we've seen, presumably, that were, you know, began and, you know, published under the reign of Miyazaki as president or From Software. As yeah. a as a huge fan of all of these games, like, what what's your ideal next From Software game? Like, what are you looking forward to the most?
1: I'm actually more intrigued to see um, a game directed full-stop from top to bottom, story and vision from tanamura I know he's vilified because Dark Souls Two is is fun to poke fun at, but I would love to see a game directed, um, conceived by Heart launch by by Tanamuda. I would like to see what that that comes out with. Um, I'd like to see what the Armored Core. I'd like to see what that comes out with uh, later because there's. There's going to be a lot of it. if that comes out in twenty eighteen. There's like four games with the uh, the initials AC coming out next year. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> um, Assassins Creed, uh, Combat Seven, which looks great by the way. Um, like there's going to be like four games that <laughs> comes out next
0: year. Yeah, it's it's going to be absolutely see. ridiculous. Yeah.
1: Um, but yeah, I'd like to see next a new IP directed
0: and conceived by Um, As much, yeah. um, as Here much comes- slack as that, that dude gets. Um, I've had some people on the podcast that are huge fan of his. The, the one that comes to mind the most is always uh, CJ coffee, Jesus from twin humanities, because he's such a huge fan of dark souls too. And he talks about it and, he made such a connection to the game and he talks about it with such passion that like even the Dark Souls 2 haters I think listen to that data and are like okay yeah so you're okay okay I get it I get it you got it you, got it, you nailed me you, you brought it back in <laughs> so yeah. I think you made yeah. some listeners very happy by saying that is what I'm saying
1: yeah like I think I really like DS2 but I like the back half of DS2 where I think Tenmuda really actually exerted himself
0: mm-hmm.
1: so I think the first half was just oh god, god we have all this crap that we had from our our former director, because they fired the director halfway through. Um, and so we need to like finish this up and then finish off the back half. And so I like, I really like the back half. There are some criticisms that I give from here and there um, for Dark Souls 2's attempt at trying to shove too much in at the first half. And it's all like first half stuff. And I can understand why it got so much slack. When it first came out, because the first half doesn't have the best, um, it doesn't leave the best impression. There's all these NPCs they don't, that like have one line that are very thin. Rosa Beth, she's like one line.
0: You yeah, give her for, clothes and she... Considering like they went to the trouble of, you know, basically creating this custom UI stuff specifically to give her clothes, like... The fact that hardly anything comes out of that is really suspicious to me. It just screams like yeah. we were going to do a thing and then we didn't have time to do a thing. And I couldn't even get the thing done in the Scholar version yeah. either. So.
1: And this, the Scholar version is like, it's a very Armored Core thing. It's armored Core will have its, main, its mainline game uh, one through five? Yeah. So there's the main number of games, one through five, and then they do a bunch of revisions like Scholar. Um. So like you've got... Answer, which is Armored Core 4's revision, and then like Verdict Day, which is Armored Core 5's revision. Um, but like, it always kind of surprises me that they didn't go back to the well a couple of times, like Armored Core for Dark Souls, but
0: they did it once for Scholar, and I guess that's that. But um, they got a lot, but, yeah, of, there's a lot of really seen Scholar as well. Like, there's a lot of Yeah, and, but and, and...
1: I think that's because a lot of the Souls community came in with Dark Souls 1. Mm hmm. And they they didn't really know that things were like that before unless they were armored also armored four fans. Yeah um actually matthew matosis's video came out the other day i don't know if you've seen that
0: i haven't had a, a chance um, to watch it i've, I've um I like because you know I'm, most of my friends on twitter are souls fans i think like 10 people sent it to me it's like have you watched this <laughs> so i've seen a lot of discussion yeah. about it but i haven't had a chance to watch it myself hopefully it's not another six it. hour <laughs> dark souls video
1: no it's it's like <laughs> 30 30 something on minutes
0: maybe. oh okay cool, cool cool
1: it's not like it's not like his Dark Souls 2 takedown that became kind of meme for Dark Souls 2, but, like, mm-hmm. I respect the work, but I disagree with it eight times out of, eight times out of ten. Um, ironically, it, is, it starts with the thrust of his argument. The thrust of his argument states that Demon Souls is the most innovative because it was their, their first in... and that people forgot about Demon Souls for some reason. Even though Demon, he tries to say that Demon Souls being the first is the best one. This is wrong because it didn't start the Souls formula. The Souls formula started with Kingsfield. And it's kind of ironic that he says that the fan base forgot about Demon Souls when he forgets about Kingsfield. Um, the formula that we know for Souls started with Kingsfield in like 1992. Mm-hmm. Stamina-based management... Um, combat. The only thing different between Kingsfield Shadow Tower and and Dark Souls One, Demon Souls, is that Demon Souls is third person. <laughs> yep. That's that's really it. Like the formula, FromSoft has been working on the for- this formula for like twenty five thirty years. Even Armored Core is stamina based combat management.
0: Real, real quick, because you you sound like the. You're maybe one of the few people I've had on this podcast that seems to be very familiar with most of the Armored Core games. And a question that I see get that brought, gets brought up a lot is, which one should I play? Because there's so many. <laughs> so, so if you can if um, someone came to you and was like, "Hey, I love FromSoft. I love Dark Souls. I love Bloodborne. I've been playing all of these FromSoft games. Like, I want to play this Armored Core game because I've been hearing so much about it. I have every single system available to me, and I can I can just go buy a copy of a game. Which one should I play first?
1: Armored Core Five. Okay. Um, either five or Verdict Day, which is the revision. Um, same same rule with Dark Souls Two. If you play Dark Souls Two and are f- really familiar with it, you might hate Scholar. But if you started with Scholar, and familiar with that, stick with Scholar. A um, Verdict Day or five. Uh, they use the the Roman numeral five, V for five, which is where they get the Verdict Day, Verdict Day form. They like. They like being cheeky with the the revision titles, but like like um, four
0: answers. I've I've always been like, okay, I gotcha. Wink, wink.
1: (laughs) I gotcha. Yep, wink, wink. (laughs) Um, But yeah, like verdict day. Um, And if you want them, if you want to see them, be parody themselves. Parody like Armored Core. Go find Metal Wolf
0: Chaos if you have a three sixty. That's an original Xbox the- game, huh? That's not—it's yeah. not even a 360.
1: Yeah, it's like a—it's a, it's a, it's a self-parody of their Armored Core series because their Armored Core series has like 18, 19 games across a, various various different
0: platforms. They just announced that um, the Xbox One is going to be able to play your original Xbox games, and I'm very, very hopeful that that means that Metal <clears throat> Metal Wolf Chaos will become kind of a thing because <laughs> I'd, I'd very much like to play it and i think for just from what i've heard and i've always I've, I've been tempted to go like look up playthroughs and stuff but i kind of heard just enough to know that like i would like to experience the insanity for myself for the first time so
1: yeah it's it's hilarious i've seen playthroughs of it because i i went through uh, playstation Netroot, and the like the original xbox controller was just big, big for my oh, tiny so girl huge. hands yeah so like i skipped out on that in the generation but like it's their fromsoft protagonist richard um who is like president of the united states in a mech and, kind of hilarious. and um, i know two e3s ago devolver digital like tweeted at fromsoft like can we can we do a revision and like vice asked vice um before the waypoint for gaming Vice asked Miyazaki at that E3, they're like, uh, Can you say anything about Metal Wolf Chaos? And Miyazaki's like, That guy is my boss because uh, the board of directors is on top of Miyazaki. The guy who has the IP for Metal Wolf Chaos is my boss. Um, I can't talk for him.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Please don't make me answer this question anymore. I can't, I literally can't say anything.
1: (laughs) I literally can't say anything about this. And, um, but yeah, like, If you're interested in their mech series, you either want to play Armored Core 5, which I think is still readily available for PS3, or Verdict Day. Um, Either one is probably fine. Although um, you might not like some of the the rock paper scissors ness of it, but it's a good place to start because it's the most easily accessible. Um, Also, easier accessible than that, is if you are willing to deal with tank controls, PS One has P- PlayStation Network. US has uh,
0: Echo Night, first Echo Night. Oh yeah, that just came out on. Uh, did it just come out on PS Four? Is that a fact? No, no. Echo Night is FromSoft's uh, Ghost Story series. Oh, that's, that's the astronaut game, like where you're spying on people. That's
1: Beyond. Yeah, that's the third one.
0: Okay. Yeah, I watched uh, they're, they're Cole like Raw final- stream some of that, and it was amazing. It looked awesome.
1: Yeah, I want another Echo Night game. Um, besides the like the Dream Tanamura direction one, I want to see like an Echo Night game come back because um, FromSoft does ghost stories pretty well. And the first Echo Night is a PS1 classic for like five dollars on PlayStation Network. Was- it's like buried deep in there, but it's there.
0: Yeah, it's cheap too. Yeah, it's like
1: on on trains or something. Follows Richard across the trains. Um,
0: We're we're right at time, so uh, I think I'm just going to cut in and ask you to plug everywhere that you are. All right, Um, I am on YouTube at
1: uh, Casative. I'm at YouTube at Casative. I'm on Medium at Moon, which is my Twitter handle, at AngelNoMoon. Um, I am Theomini pretty much everywhere else. Um, uh, I'm uh, Theomany on PlayStation, on Twitch, at Theomany. Um, yeah. I think that's everywhere.
0: And I'll second those. Those are all good followers. I'll follow you on Twitch and have for a little while now, and it's been... It's been delightful. Yeah, it's
1: it's a fun time to sit there and like chat about lore and like go through it. I think um, the biggest appreciation for lore is actually just playing the game and like experiencing it as it happens. And mm-hmm. even though I can't really make videos as it is uh, with potato computer, it's a lot of fun to sit there.
0: <laughs> they and, don't. They, uh, they don't make a uh, Sony Vegas for potatoes. They haven't got to, around to potatoes yet. I <laughs>
1: think. <laughs> I think Skyrim can play on a toaster, but not my computer now. So, <laughs> Bethesda, if you're listening, you your challenge. Yeah, seriously,
0: <laughs> drop all this VR BS and <laughs> give me a toaster.
1: Come on, give me, like, my computer doesn't even do OpenGL. I mean, come on. <laughs> um, but I am Thaamani on Twitch, I am Thaamani on PlayStation, I am Angel of the Moon at Twitter. And at Medium, where my polished content is. And uh, yeah, um, I think all my videos have most of my links there, too. So if you go, if you travel to one of those, stumble there, you can stumble. If you throw a rock, you'll stumble on me (laughs) somewhere.
0: And if you don't want to go that far, you can just look at the show notes for this episode of the podcast. And you can find clickable links for all of that stuff right there on your phone underneath your thumb super easy the thank you so much for guesting this has been an absolute delight i don't i I love talking lore i mentioned at the very beginning that i'm not like super educated on it but i love it so much it's what got me kind of going with it it's what got me doing this show specifically so it was it's it's always a a blast talking to somebody who is way smarter about it than i am so thank you very much for guesting
1: no problem thank you for having me it's been a lot of fun
0: As always, I've been your host, Jeremy Greer. You can find me on Twitter at J.G. Greer. You can find the podcast at don'tgiveupskeleton.com. There you can find links to all of the social media sites for the podcast, including Instagram, where you can find brief previews for every single episode. Um, Thank you, everyone, for listening and for sharing the podcast. Thank you for leaving some iTunes reviews. I've had some new ones in the last few weeks that have all been very positive. That goes a long way to, A, making me feel like a great person, and B, Getting the show up on the charts and iTunes so that more people can listen to it. So thank you for that. Uh that's really good. to be it. So thanks, and remember, don't give up skeleton. Hey everyone, uh, like I mentioned at the first of the episode, there's an extra bonus episode at the end of this. So stay tuned after the music and you can uh, listen to me and Theomene talk about her latest essay. Thanks. Thank you for, for doing this. Uh, I was really glad that your uh, essay came out earlier um, than you kind of had an anticip- originally anticipated and we're going to be able to do a little thing about it in the show. I think this is going to be extremely good.
1: Yeah, um, I had I had some time to sit down and just sit down and write it because it was an idea that's been like percolating for a little while. I think there's mm-hmm. some seeds of the idea in Syzygy, which is the essay that came beforehand, which is more... Um, an ontological, kind of mythological look at the Ring City in particular. But um, the seeds of the idea kind of started there and then kind of grew within my lore through streams. And I think I just, like, I had the time to just sit down and just do some research, do some writing. And it came out, so it's out (laughs) now. You You can read it and tell me I'm crazy. (laughs)
0: well before i tell you that you're crazy i I do want to say that it's um it's one of the most well-reasoned and uh well-sourced dark souls articles that that i think i've ever read um and just from being able to lay the foundations of your of, of your point out from the very beginning and how that goes all the way to your conclusion i think it was extremely well written like it um it seemed like it was going to be long especially the first time i opened it up and i was like doing that quick scroll to the bottom to be like okay you know how how long is this going to take me to read or whatever and uh but reading it actually doesn't take take long at all like you it just it just kind of effortlessly moves from point to point and from paragraph to paragraph so not to sound like i'm kissing your ass too much but it's, it's an excellent article
1: thank you thank you um yeah medium has a a minute count um for how long something would be, but it also counts the bibliography. Like Medium is actually really terrible for sourced long form. Mm-hmm. So like you kind of have to ad hoc it. Like people have been yelling at Medium to get actual footnotes, but Medium's like, you can just use notes for it. But there you go. Um but
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a free service, and we're not really interested in improving it all that much until somebody pays us, <laughs> is yeah, what Medium says, probably. I'm sure.
1: Um but thanks. Um it kind of it, that goes back to like my my academic my my academic background in political science and like international relations and stuff like that. So I'm really used to writing in that style. Um, mm-hmm. Although I kind of relax it because it's you know hobby and I don't want to keep you all, all of you there all day uh, reading, Randi. <laughs> so you know it's a lot lighter than academic writing, but it still it still has the same kind of skeleton. Unintended.
0: Absolutely intended. Uh, Before we get into it too far, I kind of want to talk to you about the kind of the genesis of the article itself. Like when and we touched on this a little bit in the main episode as well. But like when did you start having these um, kind of ideas about ashes and memories and uh, specifically your, your idea that the Ash and Hollow from Dark Souls 3 is kind of an amalgam of memories and not necessarily an actual person. Um, when did those start to form?
1: I think those started to form really in earnest with my Dark Souls Two lore through, so really fairly recently over the summer. I think started happening, started like um, crystallizing in with my lore throughs with you know Dark Souls Two, and then Dark Souls Three, and remembering some stuff in Dark Souls One. Ash, in and of itself, as a symbol, seems to be in all three games, but. At, like, it comes to the fore in Dark Souls 2 and 3 more more readily, I think. And a lot of it has to do with identity and uh, memory, especially with Luke Teal, and uh, especially in Dark Souls 2. And then that gets very, it's all over Dark Souls 3, but it's not in your face as it is in Dark Souls 2. Um, so I think a lot of those ideas became the foundation for Dark Souls 3. And I think a lot of people underestimated how much the ideas in Dark Souls 2 moved into Dark Souls 3. I think a lot of people wrote it off and just expected Dark Souls 3 to be connected to Dark Souls 1 when they all work in concert. And when I looked at all three games, lore-wise, holistically, there was this narrative forming about declaring who you are, uh, what the essence of a soul is, because there's a lot of people in the series that grow about what the essence of a soul is, but none of them ever talk about what it actually is. And um, mm-hmm. the conclusion to the series, I think all three games kind of work in concert, and I wanted to, like, it started to be this thread that I, I saw, and um, I wanted to write down what that all meant, um, and I think when we were we were playing Dark Souls Three, and it really just hit me that, especially with like thinking about what the Shrine Handmaidens' power is, that Ash is just dead memory, and all your all anyone is doing is pulling out of the the Ash of these souls these tools and items and, and stuff to sell you. And that's all the Shrine Handmaiden's doing. It's really simple. A lot of people made it a mountain of a, out of a molehill, really. But I think it takes a bit of acceptance that all three games will not cause it um, together like that. But yeah, so the genesis of, that, of the idea came from back-to-back playing both games and looking at them under a microscope wise and trying to find those narrative threads that we could, we could gather and uh, figure out what the game is trying to tell us, rather than being bogged down in the minutiae of who Rosaria is, or who the Queen of Lothric is, or who the mother of so-and-so is, and how much of a puppet master Velka is, which is all... those are all well and good questions, but they aren't... they don't matter. <laughs> In the at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Uh, But so I was looking for those narrative threads that that tie everything together, and I thought, and I it came to me while while doing Dark Souls stream. I forget exactly where in the in the stream. Otherwise, I would have like had the link for it. Where I'm like, Mm -hmm. holy crap! They're saying Ash is memory. The Ashen one is a memory. Everything here is a memory. Because And then realizing that Ash has been in the series the whole time. And then uh, figuring out that they're really talking about personal identity as the essence of the soul. Um, The soul, like, there's a theory uh, that suggests that we are our bodies. And Dark Souls really rejects that. And so, what is ourselves? It is our our soul, which is a literal fire, and everything else just kind of started snowballing. Because once you start down that road, there's no stopping going down that road. You're like, okay, so then if ash is a memory, um, then what is light, what is fire? And I read from the, the neuro, a couple of neuroscientists, Klein and Nichols, who I, I referenced pretty heavily in uh, Leith and Althea. They, they had a couple of cases from a couple of patients uh, and they said that being in amnesia made them feel as though there was they had no place in time like they had no future no past and they had no sense of how long they've been alive because they didn't have their memories with them and so that's when it hit me that holy crap Light is time, because the, the, the repair sorcery in, in Dark Souls 3 tells us so. And if light is time, and having your memories gives you a sense of time, being hollow means that you don't have any time. You don't have your memories, you're literally hollowed out from your memories, and you're just this empty body, unmoored from time. And if having no sense of time, um, and if time is, time is light, then darkness is having no time. So when you're unmoored from time, that's when the darkness takes you. The darkness is complete um, staidness. Um, what's the word? Um, stagnation. Complete stagnation. There's no. There's no time. Having you're just. You're just there. There's no future. There's no past. There's no present that's the darkness and time is light and light is also fire and fire is also warm. So if fire is reality, then darkness is, is not really. So like once you, once I started going down that route, it just went in this big circle around, uh, what eventually became my latest, my latest essay. Hopefully that'll make sense a little bit. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> no that makes perfect sense and it's uh again this is probably going to serve as kind of an intro to reading that essay which if you're listening to this and thinking like I-, I i am fascinated by this definitely go read the full essay because uh she expands upon it in quite a bit quite a bit of detail um and, I- and i'm just fascinated with it because it makes me appreciate what dark souls 3 was trying to do more hmm. um and and with a lot of lore crafting it's it's hard to know whether or not what the create what the creator's intention was, yeah, and there, it's impossible so possible to know. You know we, and
1: and it's really exactly it's really dangerous to say. Well, they're telling a they're telling such and such story because of such and such thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's just trying to take the pieces that they have there and see what comes out of it, um, shaking the jenga jenga blocks together and throwing it out, but you know, seeing all of these is in, in Dark Souls 1, 2, and 3, like, Ash Lake might as well just be called Memory Lake. And all three mm-hmm. of the major memory palaces are entered into through trees, period. Ash Lake is entered in through the Great Hollow. The, the giant memories are entered in through the giant trees. Um, the Ring City is entered in through a rotting tree, The connection. I'm just drawing connections, and I'm and I'm listening to what um, what ideas I've had and what lenses I've gotten over the years, and uh, mm-hmm. like Renegade cuts video essay on Dark City, uh, came out in July, I think, and that was really really fascinating. And then I cause I was also playing Dark Souls two and three at the time, it really started. My uh, it really somewhat started some of my thought processes on that, so that's why I I framed the essay with some some Dark City because of the similarities and some of the questions that Alex Proyas and then Hitatakamizaki Miyazaki's ma- making and uh, and then pointing out some of the differences in both those.
0: I, I very much like the idea of Dark Souls three being this um, to to use your word um, kind of unmoored. And and time and space basically, um, which is, and then having this this amalgam of memory move through it in order to um, affect any sort of change to it whatsoever, uh, is is kind of fascinating to me because it it one of my biggest issues with Dark Souls Three is the that it fills the need to let the player in on what it's doing a little bit like it wants to, it's kind of wink. i've always assumed that it was winking at the player in the form of the onion bro references or having andre hmm. or or what have you yeah um, like and this makes it
1: yeah definitely go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> i didn't want to cut you off but I, I definitely wanted to say go ahead like yeah rather than just nodding at my screen and you can't hear it <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah I don't I don't have a mic that can pick up nodding unfortunately <laughs> not yet we'll, we'll get there at some point <laughs> um but yeah having like and turning turning that idea around of it's not just being a um a mirror back into the player's experience but it's actually trying to get you to understand like none of this is like none of these things that have happened in the world that are important you know like the, these stories and those questions that you asked earlier like you know how how important is Velka? Well, she's kind of not important at all in the grand scheme of things. If you think about this world and this entire universe kind of slowly birthing itself and then drifting off to ash and then trying to reform itself in in the form of memories and getting it wrong and getting it and having all this stuff kind of coalesce together in, in weird ways. And then, you know, take different shapes and different forms and what it means is, with a character like Aldia to try to step outside of that to some degree. Um, it, it, reading the essay and one of the reasons that i I sent you the dm after reading it i was like i she (laughs) to. you gotta you gotta come back on and talk about this because this is changing the way that i feel about a video game and and that i'd kind of not put to the side because you know i I love the dark souls games a lot but i'd kind of come away with with more disappointment than i was expecting to begin with um so yeah i just having especially when you uh when you sent the link originally And uh, I immediately saw, like, you were referencing Dark City, and Dark City has been a favorite movie of mine since, you know, 19, I don't know, 98, I think is when it came out, maybe, 97, 98. So, and then not even, it was one of those times where two things that you love in your mind became connected instantly that you hadn't put together yet. And it was just a a fantastic moment of, like, oh, yeah, like, Shell Beach, okay. (laughs) And Boreen just instantly started going in, like, 90 million directions. Yeah,
1: like, what if Shell um, Beach is basically John Murdoch's Ash Lake
0: yeah. Exactly. Yeah, which is a fascinating concept. Like he was—he it was something created to appease him in some way. And if that's what this world has been doing to us, you know, that's that's kind of a fascinating line of thought. I think.
1: Oh yeah, like I think a lot of—and this isn't really a criticism—but I think a lot of people and a lot of lore crafters and a lot of a lot of YouTubers were looking at, were assuming that Dark Souls was happening in reality, um, like the Dark Souls franchise in and of itself was happening in reality. So a lot of people were stumbling over themselves, trying to create a timeline, trying to understand the geography or how, say, fair and keep was right above the catacombs of Carthus when Carthus is supposed to be this desert kingdom. Um, I'm pretty much asking the question: What if it's not the whole? The whole game is not in reality, um, and it's kind of. I think it's kind of masterful of Miyazaki to to pull something over the pull a wool over the eyes of the fan base or or undermining expectations, as it were. Because um, Dark Souls Two starts this too. I mean, if you. Considered Dark Souls 2, um, it's also probably not reality either. Um, it's Dark Souls 2 is probably the furthest along towards the fading of the fire without being Dark Souls 3. Um, there's a interview with Miyazaki from a long time ago, and I don't have the link on me, but he mentioned that Dark Souls 3 is different because it happens after the point of no return which Dark Souls 2 approaches but doesn't cross um, which is why Dark, like every, the collective memory in Dark Souls 2 is fading so badly which could be a meta commentary on, on Dark Souls 2 but I'll leave that to other people who, who like doing that sort of thing. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: And Dark Souls 1 has some of it but that's more reality and as you go further towards Dark Souls 3, you end up in a place that isn't based in reality at all. And I think a lot of people got caught up in thinking or expecting that all three games happen in reality when they don't. Um, the only time you're probably actually in reality is being in the rubbish heap and the kiln of first flame, in dar- especially Dark Souls 3. Every other place is probably a memory palace by the Lord of Cinder. Um, from like the last memories before they, they link the fire so
0: so let me let me ask you a question because um I, I've talked to a lot of people uh specifically about the lore of dark Souls 3, and i talked to i would i have to imagine i talk more <laughs> i talk to more people than most people if that if that makes sense in a sentence um about these games on a on a week to week basis and I'm curious a lot of people uh are not satisfied Um, specifically this comes up with more bloodborne ideas where the you know everything is a dream is is kind of an unsatisfactory ending if dark souls 2 and dark souls 3 and some of some of dark souls 1 don't take place in actual reality and said we're kind of reliving memories of a dying universe um i think some people would find that Particularly unsatisfying like they've been they've been working these threads to try to tie these stories together and then i feel like if you say i feel like to some people if they hear well you know none of this was reality this was all a different thing and you have to look at it completely differently that they view that as as a cop-out um but to me it's almost more satisfying because it's it's a it's a different it's a re-architecting of the world from the ground up but have you, have you encountered people as, in your conversations? Because I know you talk a, a lot about Dark Souls lore as well. So I'm kind of curious if you've had those conversations with people.
1: Not really. I think maybe because my, my audience itself is really small. Um, so I haven't really had those conversations about uh, the fact that I'm essentially Saint Elsewaring. Are we, are we allowed <laughs> to make that reference? Um,
0: <laughs> yes, yeah, Yeah. we can definitely look. And if people don't know what they're talking about, then hey, you know what? Go watch 20 years worth of television and catch up. <laughs> <laughs> Go catch up, y'all. You should You should know that as a pop culture reference at this point.
1: <laughs> but essentially, Saint Elsewhereing the Dark Souls franchise. Because it's all three games. It's not just Dark Souls 3, but um, I focus a little bit on Dark Souls 3. Because it's so evident. Um, without it being Dark Souls 2, where it's more in your face and it's more... This is what we're all about, right here. Um, but I haven't really had those conversations, and I can see okay. why they would have those. They would have those thoughts because they they would want. I think psychologically they would want their character's actions to mean something, and me saying that might insinuate that it doesn't. But it does because changing memories. Um, and as we see in Dark Souls 2, and even Dark Souls 1. Because everybody think, everybody says it's time travel in Dark Souls 1, and it probably is. Um, but it's more the real victory in Dark Souls 1's uh, Artorias of the Abyss is rewriting history, which, is re- which in Dark Souls, history is based on biased memories. Um,
0: more so... And that's one of the points that you bring up um, in your essay, is that... Uh- and you use a quote from Game of Thrones, which I like a lot, uh, but, uh, you know, that basically like history can be anything that anybody remembers. Like the only the only reason we remember history the way that it is is because that's what society agrees on. Yeah. So, you know, society yeah. has agreed that Artoria saved this princess, um, even though actual quote unquote history, the actual memory of something might be different. Yeah.
1: So that memory is what remains, especially in Dark Souls. I mean, we don't have historians looking for primary resources in Dark Dur- in Souls, in the Dark Souls universe. We have a history built more on memory than our reality's history is built on memory. Um, which, which is really striking because in Dark Souls 2, almost everything in its item description is like, well, this is a recreation. This is a, a thing we remade. Um, everything is fake. Um, everything's a recreation of something else. Pretty much every item description is like, well, this is a recreation of something else. Um, of Especially the miracles. They're like, most miracles didn't survive, so most of these are just um, restorations of things that we found fragments of. Um, even Navlan, who's actually really really fascinating for what he is, he's more an item description than he is being a jerkwad across the universe hunting you down if you pull the wrong lever um because he he figured out resurrection and then got quote-unquote murdered and his name stricken from you know lang- his language his religious language and then oh hey here he is in aldia's keep um because aldia wanted his, his ability for resurrection um and then you have Dark Souls 3, which starts way after Dark Souls 2, and, you know, memory has come and gone, it shifts, sort of like, you know, ocean and, and tides and stuff, and so people have remembered uh, remembered things from the past. Hell, even Shira, she goes, her first question is, hey, do you remember the name of God? Thine own God, if you can't recall? <laughs> and... That's the first question she asks you. Hey, do you remember this? And you're like, yeah, sure. His his mm-hmm. name is Quinn. Yeah. Of course I do. Mm-hmm. Um So, yeah, there's a lot of like questions like that happening everywhere. But for those who think that because things are are happening in memories um makes retroactively makes all of your protagonist's stuff um not worth it in a way. It does make it worth it because memory, memory is memory is history in Dark Souls, uh, and memory is the soul in Dark Souls. So, by the fact that we're we're fighting and dying and fighting and dying in the memories of the world, literally the soul of the world is its memories. Uh, then it, it makes everything worth it. Still, maybe even more worth it than if it was. Explicitly in
0: the real world. So I have to ask um, now that you have kind of crafted this um, underlining of the, the three separate games, tying them all together in, in a way that I think personally to me is it's very satisfactory. Like I, I like the idea of these worlds coexisting in this. I don't want to use the word timeline because like the points that you make in your essay are are kind of pretty clear about time and how it functions and everything. But like that they exist in the same overall universe and these things are happening to them. What what are you going to turn your attention to next? Are you are you still going to keep exploring these three games to, to see if you can find more to support this? Or do you have other ideas that are kind of percolating? And I'm not asking what those ideas are. I'm just kind of curious what your approach will be going forward. Like having done something like this almost feels to me like, okay, I'm good. like I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) Like this, this feels like, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it feels like, it feels like the culmination of, of a lot of work and a lot of effort. Where do you, where do you want to see these efforts go? I
1: actually thought about, I thought I was done after Syzygy. Like, um, Syzygy happened really quickly after I finished playing the Ring City and it really inspired me, but it was more about what all of the symbols and all of the illusions were meaning in a in sort of a eschatological context. Um, but with the replaying of, of these games, um, Ethan Althea came came about, and that seems to be a more meta narrative thread than just examining different illusions um, and, and stuff because there's even there's even a lot of Dante references I never even touch because I'm not the biggest Dante I don't have a lot of knowledge on Dante and I know that there's a lot of references to Paradiso and Purgatorio in Souls but I'd have to read that and whatever but what's next for me I don't know, <laughs> not quite yet um, I've been playing a lot of <laughs> Destiny 2 because my it's my uh, sit-around-with-friends-and-shoot-mans-and-relax kind of game. Um, sure. Uh, what I've also played Prey earlier this year, which is also really interesting, considering um, some of the same questions I kind of talk about, questions and answers I kind of talk about in Souls, but in a different way. Because um, it seems like Arcane is Talking a little bit more about video games and and agency in prey, rather than just memory and personal identity. Even though memory and personal identity are there too, um, but I don't know. Really, it, it just have to smack me on the head eventually. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's just. Hey, look at oh, yeah, me over, over here. here. I'm in. T- you're into yeah. me now. <laughs>
1: look, o- look over here. This is this is a thing you should you should be talking about. Um, because you know, I thought I was done after Syzygy, but then like the stuff that came about to become Lufanolthea, like um, that kind of pretty much smacked me on the head. Did you know there's also a, uh, there's a a river of fire next to the rivers of Leith, which is forgetfulness, and uh, Althea, which is oblivion, mm-hmm. if not fated? Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. Okay. Greek mm-hmm. reference. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: So, yeah, it's. I'm actually really excited about the essay. Um, and I'm really hoping that there's a bit more, f- there's some feedback eventually on it, or at least inspiring some discussion, either for or against or whatever. So I just, you know, put it out there, message in a bottle on the vast sea of the internet. Um, See who <laughs> fights,
0: really. It's tough because you can throw things out there. And a lot of times, um, in my experience, the thing that you think is going to spark the most conversation or spark the most interest is usually the thing that does the least amount of whatever, right. like however you count those metrics. And the thing that you kind of, you cannot kind of put out like just as, a, as an aside is like, oh, wow. Everybody has been talking about this for five years. Great. Good. I really wish I had, you know, not made that typo on that thing so that I wouldn't, wasn't oh, there. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, that, that happens. Like, I'll read something. I'll skim through something um, that I've written in the past, and I'll be like, man, that shouldn't have been a period. That should have been a comma.
0: <sighs> Sorry. Diana, thank you very much for for coming on and, and talking with me about your essay and doing like a kind of a, a bonus episode, if you if you will. Um, I don't do a lot of these addendums, uh, frankly, because they're a little bit more work for me, and I'm I'm a lazy dude, so I don't <laughs> like to do a lot of work. Uh, <laughs> so I I really appreciate you coming on board and coming back and talking to me about about the essay. Um, just in case people forgot from when they heard it 30 minutes ago, uh, where can they where can they find you on the internet?
1: I am Casative on YouTube, Theomini on. Um, playstation and twitch i'm angel no moon on um twitter and medium is medium back then uh i got my invite through twitter back in the day so i might actually change mm-hmm. my my username but i'll i'll announce that way in the way in the
0: future. sure sure well, thank you again. And listeners, I'm not going to go through the uh, the full credits. Uh, if you've listened to this, you, you know where to find me on the internet. All I will ask you to do is to go read uh, the essay that we just spent 30 minutes talking about. And um, if you feel that it's worth it, spread it around to your Dark Souls friends or your various social medias. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. And uh, we'll be back next week with more Don't Give Up Skeleton. Okay, we're
1: good. Thanks. Um, Thank you for going, hey, let's do a thing about this, because I wasn't expecting that (laughs) at all.